0: What are the gifts that you bring to this moment in history? What are the gifts that you bring to this moment of social upheaval? These moments of COVID, you write about feeling so much hurt and pain and overwhelm, and <laughs> as is the theme, some hope and empowerment sprinkled
1: in. I think what's fundamentally shifted in a positive way is, is a much better understanding that what we're dealing with is institutionally based, systemically based, and that means that the solutions have to be at that level as well. A group of white people need to sit around and talk about this because the black people are done talking about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they've, right. they've done finished talking about it. This is not not in their court to solve at this point.
2: Hello everyone, this is Grace Pratt, and you're listening to the Integrated Care Podcast. We're gonna start off a little differently this month. Um, We felt like it was just really imperative and important that we join the conversation in support of Black Lives Join the um, exhorting our community and our peers and ourselves to do the work of anti racism and make a strong statement about the importance of, of that work and, and the crucial nature of it for our field. And so um, we have several of our regular podcasters here today. I'm not going to do any particular icebreaker, but we've got Neftali Serrano. Deepu George, Christine Borst with us. And then I've also invited Jeffrey Ring to come back and join us. Jeffrey, whose voice you will remember fondly from our earlier days of our podcast, um, has been doing anti-racism work for decades. Uh, and his role has been formative for me and encouraging me to think differently and to push and to lean hard into this discomfort and the importance of this work. And so I invited him to come back and that we could just have kind of a real-time conversation to, to lean into the importance of this anti-racism work.
0: Thank you so much, Grace. It's really great to be here back again with this precious team. And, and in particular, this team sort of fueled by CFHA. Uh, I know CFHA has been facilitating some very precious and important conversations recently through community forums about the times in which we're, we're living. so Happy to be contributing to that, those important efforts. You know, Grace, I really appreciate your kind words, but um, and I get tearful about this. As much as so many of us have maybe been working on anti-racism for so long, uh, the progress is far, far from satisfactory. Uh, and so as I hold that um, sadness, at the same time, I hold a, a sense of hopefulness that actually I also haven't really necessarily felt for a long time. People are talking about reparations. People are talking about um, undoing the systematic ways in which some folks have access to life and liberty and resources and others do not stop and start signs in society as well. Kamara Jones has spoken about. I think it's also worth just noting for our listeners who we are. There are uh, We have uh, one man of uh, Latin uh, background. We have Neftali, uh, we have Deepu, South Asian uh, background, and myself, Christine, Grace, uh, white uh, Americans. So it's important that you understand our complexion as we enter into this conversation? I just wanted to start, dear colleagues and friends, to invite you to think for a moment about how you've been doing over the last, last few days or week, and if you would be so kind as to just go inside for a moment and ask yourself that question. What, what words describe how you've been doing emotionally, physically, energetically, mood-wise? spiritual community. If you could just type some of those feelings into, into the chat box. You see Deepu, you're writing about feeling pain and regret, wanting to act, seeking hope, grace, and mercy, and rooted understanding in historical and theological perspectives. Deepu, you're feeling and thinking a lot. This is a full plate. I ask you about the pain, regret, and the wanting to act? Yeah. Would you be willing to say a few words about that?
3: Sure. Um, I think, you know, George Floyd is not the, I mean, we've, we've been through this so many times, and I can't imagine what it's like for the community and those families. I um, One of the activities that I intentionally did was sort of, sit through the funeral and sit through Reverend Sharpton's remarks and um, all of the other families who have lost their sons and daughters to, to murder was there. And um, it was sort of painful to be part of that. I think regret in uh, just uh, thinking about how do I bring these, uh, the consistency to raising consciousness of issues of race and disparities and our own biases uh, into the midst of my training. Uh, Not that I don't bring it. I just feel like I haven't done enough to um, make it a through line and a non-negotiable fact in in our conversations. And I, I think wanting to act. And I think CFHA has been um a home for many reasons and i think one of the um rootedness that it does give me is a sense of community and platform what we're doing um and so just wanting to use our space um more intentionally and i i know naftali and i have spoken about this in, in different settings um and then wanting to act from my community's perspective uh holding uh, South Asian communities accountable for um, their own biases and uh, those attitudes that reflect statements and actions and prejudices that we hold dear in our community.
0: Deepu, oh, I hear you saying that you have this impulse, this spark, this desire to act. And this is kind of a funny question, but do you know where that lives within you, kind of in your body? Like, is there a place for that... Impulse is physically housed?
3: Uh, I would say right right at the center, center yeah. of it all. Um, less here, more here, I think. Less in my head, more in my heart. Naftali, you're writing that you feel lost and confused
0: and hopeful at the same time. Kind of a similar sort of mix of emotions that Deepu was talking about. Just say a little bit about what it's like to carry those opposites.
1: Yeah, that's a, actually a really good way of putting it. Uh, I think it's something that I've been learning to do in midlife is holding opposites and realizing that that's the substance of life. Um, and in this, this time, I think um, the, the feeling of lostness is a feeling of, of not knowing quite what to do uh, and sometimes not even knowing what to feel. Um, the, the problems feel so big, they feel so ingrained Um, I see the roots of those problems in me and in society, and uh, that the bigness of it feels um, overwhelming sometimes. Um, And the confusion part for me uh, has to do professionally with um, knowing that health inequities exist, um, knowing that we've tried lots of things over the years uh, to bridge those health inequities. Um, particularly for people of color uh, and knowing that we've, we've not made the progress that we need to in that area. And, you know, I, I focus on that area, not to, not to the exclusion of obviously the reality of police brutality, but simply because the area of responsibility that I feel is, is the area where I professionally live um, with our organization, with the patients that we see. And, I want to be able to say, we're actively working to um, eradicate those inequities, but I feel confused about how to go about that. I feel confused about how to um, guide our organization uh, in that direction, to encourage others in healthcare around that. Um, so that that's sort of where I feel kind of lost and confused. Uh, the, the hopeful part is actually, so I, I think I think there's a sense in which when you feel lost and confused and you ought to feel lost and confused, I, I know this sounds weird, but there's a sense in which um, I feel like I've come face to face with what is. And when you come face to face with what is, there's a sense that you are in the right place. You should be in that place of discomfort. You should be in that place of feeling a little bit lost and... I'm not sure what to do, and, and what, what feels hopeful about that is that I feel like something good's gonna come out of that. I feel like some right thing is gonna come out of that, both for me personally as a person, I felt uh, challenged and, and shaped in a new way during this time. That's been good. I, I'm glad to, this sucks, and having to face all this is hard and painful, but I'm glad because it's shaping who I am individually as a person. And my hope is that collectively, as, uh, as an industry and as a, uh, as a set of professions in healthcare, that some really good things can also come systemically and institutionally out of this. And that's where my hope comes from.
0: Thank you, Neftali, so beautifully said. I just want to bookmark this point. Maybe we'll revisit it. It's the relationship between feeling and doing. What does it mean to feel lost and confused and unsure? And what does it mean to to act? And can we possibly move to a place of action, even if inside we're just not 100% sure? (laughs) Even inside, if inside we are feeling lost and confused and unsure. And then the other question would be, how do we move to that place, right? What are the things that can fuel A moving into true action, meaningful, impactful, reparative, and I use that word intentionally, action. So we'll we'll come back to this. Christine, you write as as a mom, so much responsibility as a parent, a heaviness and guilt and an exhaustion. You write about feeling so much hurt and pain and overwhelm. And as is the theme, some hope and empowerment sprinkled in the action plan of how to move forward. Can you help us understand a little bit of that mix of the action and emotion?
4: I think you and Naftali really had good points about almost waiting till I've, I've reached the saturation of knowledge and um, confidence to be able to move forward, right? And I think if nothing, the last few weeks has shown me that we don't have time for that, right? I don't need to go get a PhD in, in this to be able to be helpful and actionable. Um, and I think that what has moved from an ally position to an active anti-racist position in the last few weeks is the understanding of that. That, you know, in the past being afraid of offending or what is my role as a white girl in this. Um, You know, being aware of my privilege is one thing and I have very profound experiences with that, but feeling like it wasn't appropriate like I didn't want to step on people's toes. Like I didn't know enough to speak up, um, to be actively anti-racist. That I think kept me from being in that place. And I've been really thankful the last few weeks of understanding that that's not, that's not a good reason, right? You know, we, there's a lot that can be done and there's a lot that I can learn and go as, you know, learn as I go, go as I learn. And I think one of the most profound things that I've that I've read and heard is about ego, right? This is not about my ego, but this is a white problem, which means we need, I as a white person need to be a part, an active part of the solution.
0: I'm curious, Christine, thank you for for letting us in. It helps me see and know and understand you better, feels closer to you. Um, I have a curious question. Do you know where this comes from, that feeling inside that maybe you haven't known enough to speak up? Do you have any sense of where that message comes from and how it got into you? Um,
4: I think broadly, you know, a recovering perfectionist, you like to just, I like to know that I'm doing the right thing. Um, And then growing up in a primarily white community, where it was a yes we should treat all people equally but that meant nothing right you know i i truly until i was 21 years old thought my skin was neutral i i just was neutral it's like no no no. that's an example of enormous privilege so i i think that wanting to do things correctly from a young age probably
0: yes you know systems Um, produce the results that they are precisely developed to to create. And so racism does that to us. It creates this feeling that, like, I don't know how to speak up, or I shouldn't speak up, or or maybe even pre-contemplation, I even know that there's anything to speak up about. So I so appreciate this evolution of holding up a mirror, a jagged, rusty mirror looking inside, you know, facing all of those demons we've swallowed in the voice of poet Michelle T. Clinton, right? The demons we've swallowed.
4: Absolutely. I also, doing some reflection too, I feel much more comfortable speaking out LGBTQ plus the community being very active and, you know, anti-discrimination. And so that's, been very interesting for me to reflect on too. Why do I feel so much more comfortable? That's not, I don't identify personally with that group, but what is it about the differences that makes it so much more comfortable to be actively anti-racist or anti-discriminatory versus when we're talking about
0: Black Lives Matter? Oh, I love this. This is a reflection on the nature of your voice, your um, authority, your autonomy. My colleague Karen Hill in a meeting this week asked us, Is it easy for your for you to speak out on issues of race or issues of gender? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a fair and important and piercing question. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Grace, you write about feeling, feeling determined, the weight of responsibility, afraid of not doing justice to colleagues of color, patients of color, you write about the heaviness, the vastness of the grief. My my curiosity for you is uh, that weight of responsibility. Where do you feel it and what? how does it play out in your internal psyche?
2: I feel it in my gut, um, just way down deep in my gut, and it's a... It's, it's been a shifting in um, my fear of doing something wrong or saying something wrong or having someone be mad at me and the, the responsibility and recognition that I am the least significant piece of this puzzle um, and that my fear has moved from being afraid of doing something wrong or being called out for something wrong to welcoming it and hoping for it because I know that there's a, there's, I have a responsibility to speak. And of course, I'm going to try to speak correctly and try to advocate in a way that honors and protects and doesn't hurt further the people I'm trying to be an ally to, but also approaching that with, I've got to speak up to even have the opportunity to say something wrong, to be corrected, to learn, to do better. Um, And that fear of hurting the other, the people that I'm trying to be an ally for, is overtaking my fear of being wrong.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And and just to add to that, the um, impact on others of silence and collusion. Absolutely. (laughs) Relative to saying the wrong thing. Absolutely. um, You remind me of of a yoga teacher of mine who said, I don't want you to try this pose, just do it. Just do the pose. Might be painful. If you breathe and go slow, maybe help, but just
2: you know, aim for your toes, right? so. so we are going to go to a quick break. So you know
5: that CFHA is the only member association for integrated care professionals. And you know that CFHA has an awesome annual conference and is a leader for online content in integrated care. What you may not know is that CFHA is also a leading provider of consultation services for clinics and systems-building integrated care programs. From large projects to small ones, our consulting team uses the best evidence available and the most up-to-date practices in implementation strategies to ensure that your project is successful. Whether you need on-site coaching, executive-level strategy conversations, supervision sessions with your staff, or even speakers for your regional conference, CFHA's consultation services are there to help and at a price that is very competitive. Plus, by using CFHA's consulting services, you also promote the mission of our not-for-profit association. It's a win-win. For more, contact us through our website at integratedcareconsultation.com. That's integratedcareconsultation.com, the place to go for the best in technical assistance.
2: Another announcement we have is that our listeners can now call and leave voicemails for us in response to our podcast.
1: Now your you, listeners have an opportunity to participate on our podcast by leaving a recording at our podcast line. So if something about this podcast piqued your interest, maybe it sparked a thought or a feeling. maybe you have some feedback for us or a new thing you'd like us to talk about. Well, you can leave a message at 984206. 1636 extension 1636. That's 984-206-1636, extension 1636. We'd love to hear from you.
2: Okay, we're back. This month, we felt like it was just really imperative and important that we join the conversation in support of Black Lives and the crucial nature of it for our field. And then I've also invited Jeffrey Ring to come back and that we could just have kind of a real-time conversation to to lean into the importance of this anti-racism work.
0: Thank you so much, Grace. I've been thinking so much um, these days about a trip I took in March before COVID um, to Alabama. Once again, for the second time, um, I visited the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Brian Stevenson's extraordinary and emotional. Uh, honoring the victims of lynching and you know the thing that's there's so much that uh, stayed with me from the visit both to the museum and to the, um, the memorial but there are listed there are the reasons why folks got lynched like there was a dead cow in the next town or he walked too close to the master's wife or maybe tried to pass a note to a a friend. This raises the important piece of not only the action side that we've been talking about, but the undoing of an incredible um, psychological history of this nation, right? Success born on the shoulders of others, on the backs of others, backs of slaves. And that, as Brian Stevenson writes, you know, maybe, slavery ended, but, but not really we continue with mass incarceration. We continue with environmental injustice. We continue with uh, horrific health inequities uh, and we um, continue with uh, murder. So I'm just wondering, how is this conversation sitting with you? What, what, what is this like to have this conversation uh, together?
4: I think it's been a long time since, you know, maybe when I was in my master's program and this was commonplace to really sit with these uncomfortable feelings, but it's not commonplace these days, particularly among white people to sit and talk about this. Um, And it's just easier sometimes, I think, to not have the conversations. We started a group in my neighborhood the last couple weeks where, I mean, it's mostly suburban white moms, but, you know, we're getting together saying, okay, let's have these hard conversations. None of us are experts in this, but we're going to all learn together. And that's okay. And it's, it's going to be awkward. So I really appreciate this opportunity. I think it's extra scary knowing that you know we're just distributing this to the world but what a better time you know to just have this
0: thank you christine if it's not commonplace then let's change that and we're doing that right in this very 100 percent. Thank you.
3: yeah i think of it as um i think i was speaking to grace yesterday about this is um we do have uh, you know that resolve to act and sometimes action doesn't mean um, you know, what we may traditionally see as like acting and protesting and other things. We have a platform. And I, uh, to Christine's point and to Jeff, what you're saying, what does this mean? I don't think we have honest, raw, good examples of how to do this. And, uh, and I'm wondering if this is like our attempt at this is sort of... Um, a step in that direction, right? Like, you know, and when we work with patients, we sort of say any change is good change, right? Anything that you're going to let go and, and try something new is likely to move you in the direction of your values. Um, and, and I think that's what I feel hopeful about um, this conversation and, and us being able to come together.
1: Yeah, I think I, I notice all the pauses in our conversation. There's, there's a lot of pauses, Um, which to me speaks to the uh, weight, the collective pain that we feel, Um, some of the shame and embarrassment that I think uh, we feel, And, and I think some of the fear there too. I think, Christine, I resonate a lot with what you said, and you too, Grace, just this fear of not doing the right thing, of messing up, Um, and it feels sad to me that we feel that way. Uh, we feel ashamed of bringing our authentic selves, even if that authenticity includes things we may not like or that others may not like, you know? Um, and it's it's just interesting to observe those pauses, especially among us as a group, because we like each other, (laughs) And we respect each other. And, and I think we've created a safe space for us uh, in these podcasts to, to do that. And yet it's clear that there are these parts of us that are, are so painful to bring out uh, that, that it's hard. It's hard to do that. And, and yet it feels like what we should be doing.
0: Thank you, Naftali. Let's be intentional for a moment and let's just invite in a pause, a reflective pause. It's like um, it's like a, a an opportunity to hold all of the emotion. Let's just sit quietly and hold pain, shame,
1: fear, anger, grief.
0: find within you the stirrings of action and the spark at the same time. Thank you. I'm so sorry Bridget's not here. Bridget taught me so much about uh, psychological reps. I mean, she does these Reps on learning how to be strong as an interventionalist behaviorist, and we have um, we have a lot. We, I, white folks, perhaps more globally, a lot of reps that we can do to build our capacity to be bold, strong, anti-racist leaders. So I have some ideas about those, but I'm just going to pause for a moment for you to think about what reps do you need to do to become an anti-racist warrior. If uh, Kamara Jones were here, family physician, extraordinaire, bold champion for, for undoing racism, past president of the American Public Health Association, she would tell us there are three important steps for us in the way forward. You may know these. The first is to name racism. Name racism when we see it. So, what reps do you need to do to be able to do that? What are the skill deficits that we need to be able to name racism? Number two, We have to ask ourselves, how is racism operating here? In our institutions, in our organizations, in our communities, in our families, in ourselves. How is racism operating here? So what's on your to-do list to be able to do that better? What do you have to read? Who do you need to listen to? do you need to do to up your perception system to see and hear the whole the whole story and then number three we have to begin to organize and strategize to act so that's great like all roads lead to action all roads lead to change bold change unexpected change strong change human reparative just change so maybe you'll want to work on not being a passive bystander in the face of oppressive comments and actionists what will be your bold next step in how you live how you teach how you Heal people in in therapy. Grace, I'm going on and on. How is this sitting with you? What are your thoughts and reflections?
2: I'm thankful that we're having this conversation. And when you ask us to make space in that pause for the emotion and also to feel the strings towards the action, I think those are deeply connected for me. And... Um, that's one thing that I have been feeling as I have been mindfully staying in this space of listening and learning and reading and doing what I can to continue to not look away um, from the pain of racism. That is what's driving me to action. So as I think about ways that I can make this not just a moment of being anti-racism, anti-racist, but dedicating my life to this work, I think it, it's staying present with that grief and staying present with that shame and that guilt and that, the difficulty of the past. Um, So I'm, I'm thankful that we're, we're doing that and we're collectively, and I, that's something I'm really thinking about a lot individually. And it is leading me to just what you said, this first piece for me, is I know that I'm a person who can take in and take in and take in and take in before I move to action. Um, I know that about my personality and about myself, and it is about, I think, some of those initial steps for me are not being a passive bystander and making it really clear that what I'm thinking on the inside needs to be said on the outside, needs to be spoken up, in the moment. And if I miss the moment to come back later, (laughs) um, and to not just say, Oh, I missed that opportunity, but to also create opportunities.
0: Here's what I'm hearing. Deepu, tell me if you're hearing the same thing, that the internal work is important. The internal work on privilege and power and voice and autonomy and authority to act is really important, but that it need not be exclusive from actually starting to act. <laughs> and that in the end, as far as other people are concerned, it will actually be the action piece that's going to change this world in this nation's history. Is yeah. that what you're hearing?
3: Yeah, and I think as uh, Grace was talking about that, and as you were just sort of asking us to think about this, I think about Moments when I want to say something and then the fear of like, oh my gosh, what if they come back with a rebuttal or what if they say something back that I don't have the answers to, then what do I say, you know, or what if I call something out and then they give some other explanation and then I'm going to look bad. Um, And just sort of recognizing that process as a barrier. Um, But also I was thinking to myself of saying, uh, you know, when it occurs to sort of be honest and say, I'm probably not going to do this right, but what I just saw, it seemed really unfair and perhaps racist or its influence or impacted by race. Uh, can we talk about that? Um, and this may be uncomfortable for us, but can we get into that?
0: Tipu, my dear friend, you can do this work. You have a strong and bold voice and a huge heart. You need not be perfect. You just need to be you, you the empathic man, you the the person of incredible capacity to hear the whole story, and the man you are of conviction and strong voice and clarity of moral justice and social justice and equality and fairness. You can do this work. We can all do this work. So there will be doubts and there will be falling down and skinning our knee and making a mistake and you know having to put on bat teen and a Band-Aid and fix it for those that we may have hurt unintentionally. So be it. We stand back up. You connect again with your extraordinary capacity and gifts. Let me just add, invite you for a moment to close your eyes. I want to invite you to think about Exactly that question. What are the gifts that you bring to this moment in history? What are the gifts that you bring to this moment of social upheaval, these moments of COVID and all of its threats and destructiveness? What are the gifts that you bring to your family, to your work team, to larger society? Maybe your gift is of incredible empathy and listening with big, non-judging, embracing ears. Or perhaps your gift is a strong and powerful voice of truth. Maybe your gift is of generosity and altruism and human reparations and economic reparations. Maybe your gift is taking care of the person to the left of you taking care of the person to the right of you. Maybe your gift is bystander no more. As we as we wind down our conversation, I wonder if you'd be willing to share what gifts you are bringing to this moment. Neftali, can I invite you to begin?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I've actually thought about that because um, my initial uh, response to all this as I saw people posting on social media and all that was actually to Refrain from doing that it, out of the sense that that wasn't going to be my contribution like I felt like there's some other gift here that is Core to me that I want to give and I don't want to sort of get sidetracked. I want to figure that out. W- what is it? and um not surprisingly, I think the gift that, uh, has emerged in the last, I think, week, you know, few weeks has just been me, like my history, um, as, uh, sort of a, a bridge. I've always in my life been in between cultures. I've grew up Hispanic, but not fully Hispanic. I grew up in a Jewish, white Jewish neighborhood in New York, went to sh- church and a, uh, mostly central Latin American church, um, and never felt fully at home in any of those places, um, and had to learn how to bridge all of that. And it just has occurred to me that that's what I can bring, that I can help be a bridge for others to make those cross-cultural connections, to, to reach in and understand, the experience of, of being uh, a majority white individual and to reach out and understand what it's like to be an oppressed minority, um, for, for, to, to bring people to a place where they, they see each other, they really see each other, um, because that's what I've had to do all my life is to figure out a way to see the parts of me in each of those different pieces of my life. And it's out of that that actually came this desire to have our conversation as a CFHA community um, to begin to bridge all of this and, and to bridge the you know the conversation around police brutality to the conversation around health inequities and what we can do in our spheres to finally uh, bridge the, the gap that exists for uh, folks to live whole, full, equal lives and everything that means. So I'm still figuring that out. So I I don't know how that's going to play out, but I feel like that's the gift that I want to apply here. Thank you, Navtali.
0: We have a drought of bridge builders, and so we need more, we need you. One way I think that we build bridges is by saying to other people, What I hear you saying is, what would the world be like if each of us said that 10 more times during the day to people that we encountered? What I hear you saying is, so I love this idea about the many ways that we build bridges, many, many ways in relationship and institutions. Christine, what are your gifts that you bring to this moment?
4: I really think that a shift came for me about a week and a half ago when I really sat with, okay, what, how would my authentic self respond to this if I wasn't paralyzed with this perfectionism, right? That kept bubbling up. Um, And I think my gift is translating information into art. Um, And that comes with it a whole new set of skills that I was kind of uncomfortable expressing, but um, having, Art and being able to connect with people and help educate um, and share what I've learned through that has been, um, I think, really helpful, at least for me to feel like I'm being connected with my authentic self and active and not paralyzed by fear of moving forward.
0: We need art desperately. These, the artists through history have been bold and powerful in the symbolism that they raise. So that is a precious gift. Thank you. Grace, what gifts do you bring to our cornucopia today?
2: I think empathy, like you said, um, to, to be able to listen non-judgmentally and take that in thoughtfully and then ask some questions to understand more deeply. So there's the, there's so many layers of perspective and people and systemic issues. And so to be able to approach those thoughtfully um, and to ask and to look a little deeper um, would be my gift. Thank you.
0: Thank you so uh, preciously important in the relational healing. Deepu, your gifts.
3: Well, I, I I was identifying a lot of what Naftali said because um, I'm one of these, I guess, what they call like a third culture kid because I never really grew up in a single location. Uh, I, I'm in the Rio Grande Valley now. This is the longest I've ever been in a single location. This is my sixth year here uh, throughout my life. And um, so one of the gifts I, I've been uh, given, I think, is just the... Opportunity and ability to build community. And I, I feel like I have been able to somehow manage to do that despite the multiple moves and build relationships. And so, community is one. Um, I think about uh, also, I was speaking to a really good friend of mine yesterday from India who's been through a lot and um, sort of what he's struggling with now. And I think one of the other gifts that I think about is uh, is gentleness. And I think these conversations that needs to happen uh, can only be birthed into meaningful spaces when there's gentle invitations to do those things and, and to sort of um, hold that conversation. And I think about instances in my life where I have, uh, you know, Uh, avid supporters of both political spectrum as dear friends and uh, sort of, and I'm doing my work to open up those spaces for conversation and debate and with the sense of mutual respect uh, and all of the things that make conversations meaningful and safe. Um, The other thing is I am deeply rooted in um, faith and uh, faith is central to who I am and I want to continue to reflect uh, from a nonviolent civil rights uh, perspective of the, the historical traditions that have gotten us here uh, to, to continue to use that as a way to guide myself and my residency, for example, my community is uh, another, another thing. Uh, I was listening to Dr. Cornel West and, and, you know, he talks about, I've been at this for 50 years and um, which, you know, made me pause and have a sort of like a deep sense of pain. But he said, I have to bounce back. And so um, for someone like that to hold a torch, even after uh, the horrors of what he has seen and lived through. And I know that comes from faith and um, his uh, deep, deep, deep commitment to love. Thank you, Deepu. Torch, faith, love, hope.
0: I, I am grateful for the gift of this conversation. I feel like I have deepened our connections and grown, seen things in new and more precious ways. I'm so appreciative of your openness, and your tenderness, and your vulnerability, and that spark, that ever-present connecting spark of action, you know, as we've been talking, the Supreme Court just um, approved the continuation of the DACA law, justice has been served, now, I'm sure I know that a lot went into that incredibly powerful moment, but this may be part of that. Five adults chose to sit together one morning to talk about justice and fairness and equity and rights, humanity. I think it's connected. And let that inspire us all on to more such conversations and all of the actions that grow from from this field. So thank you for the gift of this time. And Deepu, will you... Give us one final gift of thought as we wind down our chat. Sure.
3: I think uh, there are a couple of quotes I've been just wrestling with, and I'm going to actually take a few minutes to read through the three of them that all come from uh, Brian Stevenson um, and all born out of his work uh, for the Equal Justice Initiative. And a couple of themes that I think uh, that strikes from the conversation is Uh, One is a willingness to understand our brokenness uh, and the great responsibility that we have for inviting mercy and kindness and compassion as we falter and learn to get up and falter and learn to get up. Uh, Because I don't think there's any other way to do this. So I'm going to read three different excerpts from his book. Um, and I'm going to sort of leave it at that, but this is all from his book, Just Mercy. There is a strength, a power, even in understanding brokenness, because embracing our brokenness creates a need and desire for mercy, and perhaps a corresponding need to show mercy. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. You see things you can't otherwise see. You hear things you can't otherwise hear. You begin to recognize the humanity that resides in each of us. We are all implicated when we allow other people to be mistreated. An absence of compassion can corrupt the decency of a community, a state, and a nation. Fear and anger can make us vindictive and abusive, unjust, and unfair until we all suffer from the absence of mercy and we condemn ourselves as much as we victimize others. The closer we get to mass incarceration and extreme levels of punishment, the more I believe it's necessary to recognize that we all need mercy, we all need justice, and perhaps we all need some measure. Of unmerited grace. The power of just mercy is that it belongs to the undeserving. It's when mercy is least expected that it's most potent, strong enough to break the cycle of victimization and victimhood, retribution and suffering. It has the power to heal the psychic harm and injuries that lead to aggression and violence abuse of power, mass incarceration.
2: Thank you, Deepu. Thank you, Jeffrey and Thali and Christine. Thank you to our listeners. We urge you to continue to have this conversation, to sit with the emotions, to feel the ties to action. And we'll talk to you again next month.
1: That was fantastic. I'm not sure how you end a space like the one we just had. Maybe we don't end it.
2: That's what I'm thinking. We Just carry it forward.